Genesis chapter 4. First book in the Bible, you've only got to flip a couple of pages. Genesis chapter 4, starting off Cain and Abel. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, he was the father of those who lived in tents. Um, I've lost my place. I lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Neymar. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. 
Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, I'd like to lead us in prayer as we... Uh before we uh, come to think about this passage from um, Genesis chapter 4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, uh, that it cuts uh, through our minds and cuts through our hearts to uh, change us, to help us to uh, trust in you and all that you've done and to be more like you as we... uh, continue to trust in Jesus and place him as uh, ruler, as Lord of our lives. And so we pray that uh, by your word and spirit that you would be working amongst us now. We pray that we would not be people who listen to your word and then ignore it, but uh, rather that we put it into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The 17th century uh, French thinker Blaise Pascal Uh, summed up his view of humanity as follows. This is how he described us. Uh, He spoke of humanity as being both the the glory of the universe and the scum of the universe. The glory and the scum. Now, it's easy for us to see how it is that we are, the glory of the universe. Um, I'm always amazed by the abilities of other creatures, of other animals and birds and reptiles and fish and so on. I'm always amazed by their abilities and what they can do, but none of them uh, comes anywhere near our ability to, uh, to think, to invent, to design, to create, um, let alone to, to appreciate beauty for its own sake Uh, and to reflect on life and to do lots of good things. And yet, is there any other creature who does as much harm as we do? I mean, other creatures, they, they kill, don't they? But they kill for the sake of survival. But we do so out of jealousy, out of pride, out of hatred, out of selfishness out of, well, how many other motives are there? In fact, when, you, when we combine those motives with our superior abilities, we're not only the most glorious of creatures, we're also the most dangerous of creatures. The same technologies that we develop for the good of others, we also use to destroy and to kill others. I, I can't uh, forget the image of that a maternity hospital <laughs> designed and built and resourced and staffed to care for the well-being of mothers and their baby children being destroyed by a missile. <laughs> we are the glory and the scum of the universe. And we wonder why this is so. Yet right from its opening chapters, the Bible helps us to understand humanity, helps us to understand ourselves. Why are we so glorious? 
Why are we so far above all the other creatures? Well, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, it's because we've been made in God's image, isn't it? It's because we have been made special as God's special creation. We have been made in order to have a unique relationship with God our creator and he's given us a role. He's given us the role of under him, under his authority for us to be the managers, uh, the stewards, the rulers of your life of the world to fill the world and to subdue the world under God in God's ways and when you give someone a job you've also got to give them the resources and the abilities that they need to do the job and that's why God has given us the abilities that we have do you remember uh, what God said of the world after he had created man, men and women, and he stood back, as it were, and he, and he looked at what he'd made and he, what did he say about it? He said, it was very good, very good. And that includes us. As the pinnacle of his creation, we were very good. How long did that last? How long did that last? For when uh, the very first humans, Adam and Eve, uh, were tempted by the serpent, they followed the serpent. And they ate from the tree of which God had said, you should not eat from that tree. What were they thinking? What were they doing? Well, I'll tell you what they were thinking. I'll tell you what they were doing. They were thinking, we, not God, will actually be the ones who make up the rules as to what's right and wrong. That we, not God, will be the rulers of our own lives. Now, if you want to be the ruler of your life, and I want to be the ruler of my life, what happens when we meet? What happened with Adam and Eve? Um, Their relationship with God was, was fractured, and their relationship with one another was fractured. Uh, they suddenly felt exposed, that they, that they couldn't trust one another. Why would you trust someone who had already disobeyed God? They couldn't trust one another. Uh, their relationship with one another was fractured and they, and they even blamed one another. That woman, said Adam to God, whom you put here, she made me do it. They hid, they, they, and they blamed. Now, this is a, a last weekend, it's a, a, a bleak picture, isn't it? It's a bleak picture as sin and consequently death entered the world. But if you open up your Bibles at uh, Genesis chapter 3 uh, for a moment, we'll be looking at chapter 4 in a moment, but if you open up your Bibles at G- Genesis chapter 3 and scan your eyes down to where God announces his judgment on the serpent and have a look at what it says. What, what, what do you see? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says, And God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. 
He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, at one level, that um, is a fairly good summary of the relationship between snakes and humans <laughs> uh, over the, uh, the, the millennia. But at a higher level, at a deeper level, this is actually a glimmer of hope. Because that serpent, that ancient serpent, was Satan himself. It was Satan who had led Adam and Eve uh, into sin. But the offspring of Eve, we're told here, would destroy him, would crush his head. Hinting that there would be a reversal. Hinting that Eden would be restored. Now, I want you to imagine that you've never read this part of the Bible ever before and uh, you're reading it now for the first time and you get to the, uh, to the next section in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, which reads, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. So, first time you're reading this, uh, what are you now expecting is going to happen? How about, amongst other things at least, that there's going to be a conflict? That there's going to be a battle where the serpent strikes at the heel of the offspring of Eve, but the offspring crushes the serpent's head? I mean, that's what the promise was, chapter 3, verse 15, uh, of what um, the offspring of Eve would do to the serpent. That's what we might expect. And yet in Genesis chapter 4, that's not exactly the, the way it plays out. Uh, sin does not come to an end. Instead, with each new generation of human beings, sin and its consequences just gets worse and worse. Adam and Eve were the first generation. Uh, in chapter 4, verses two, 2 through to 8, the story of the second generation now focuses on two of Adam and Eve's sons. Uh, the first son, Cain, and we're told that Cain uh, was a... Uh, that he grew vegetables... Uh, he grew the, the fruit and the vegetables uh, to feed the family. Uh, the second son is Abel, and we're told that he was a shepherd. Uh, he provided the meat for the family. And both of these brothers, although they are living outside of Eden, they still have a knowledge of God, and in one sense, in varying degrees, they have a sort of a longing to to be close to God. And so both of these brothers bring offerings to the Lord. I want to read to you from verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering tree to the, to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, what's the difference between these two offerings? Well, Abel's offering, it's his, his very best. Uh, 
this is his prime cut, uh, prime cuts of, 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 of lambs. Uh, this is his top quality produce. But how is Cain's offer tree described? Well, it doesn't say very much about it at all, does it? Uh, just some of the fruits. And it doesn't sound like he's... It sounds pretty ordinary, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like he's picked out the very best, the biggest, the juiciest, the most... It's probably the smallest and uh, the bruised of his produce. And here in this we see the battle. Here in this we see the conflict... Adam and Eve, uh, they, took, they took the fruit because they did not trust God and his word. Cain withheld the best of his fruit because he also did not trust God. He didn't trust that by giving over the best of his fruit to the Lord that the Lord was still going to look after him. No, what was he thinking? Well, he was thinking was this. He thought, my life he thought, will be better if I serve myself rather than serve God. That if I give God a token, but I keep the best for myself. He withheld from God. Consequently, God withheld from him. God withheld his favour from Cain. You see, as it says... Uh, uh, God said when he um, saw that Cain was angry and downcast uh, and he said to him, look, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must, you must master sin. You must stand up to temptation. You must refuse to cave in. But instead of standing up and resisting temptation, he caved in. And like his parents, he became a servant to sin. And so how would he felt? He's given his offertory to God. God says, look, no, that's actually not acceptable. And you've got a couple of options there, don't you? You could think, well, you're right, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've, I've sinned against you and I, I, I repent. Uh, or you can sulk. And feel sorry for yourself. And here, now, he's full of anger. And we're told that he's full of jealousy. He's full of jealousy because his brother's done the right thing and his brother's offertory has been accepted while he hasn't. How does he respond to that? Does he stand up to that temptation and say, no, I'm not going to sin? No. In verse 8, he lures Abel, his younger brother, into a remote place and murders him. See, far from the effect of sin being reversed by Eve's offspring, it's now got a whole lot worse. Uh, think about when the first generation sinned. How did Adam and Eve behave when what they had done sunk in? How did they behave? They hid from God. They were ashamed. Was Cain ashamed when God confronted him? Check it out in verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, 
Where is your brother Abel? As if God doesn't know. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, that's actually very... uh, That's a play on words because brother's keeper, keeper, uh, it's a word that's like shepherd. His brother was a shepherd. He's saying, am I my brother's shepherd? Because Abel was a shepherd who he has just murdered. Is he ashamed? Does he hide from God? (laughs) No. He backchats God with a smart aleck remark about his brother's occupation. And and check out how he reacts to God's judgment. Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. It will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, when God punished Adam and Eve, they accepted it. They were ashamed, but they accepted it, but not Cain. Reading on in verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me out of the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. You can't do this to me, God. I won't cope. I might be murdered. Worse than his parents. He's a murderer who shows no humility. No remorse, no sorrow, no real repentance. He must be judged, for God is a righteous God. Yet God is also merciful. Um, In uh, chapter 5, verse 3, uh, we learn that um, Adam and Eve had other sons and, and daughters, It's just that this story focuses on these two sons. And if uh, one of Cain's brothers came after him sometime in the future uh, to avenge the the death, the murder of Abel by killing Cain, well, God actually put a mark on Cain uh, and, 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 and pronounced, declared, that anyone who did so would be avenged by God himself seven times so God's being merciful he's actually protecting Cain uh, in that regard and so Cain took his wife um, would have been his sister first and second generations and we're told that he went to the land of Nod east of Eden and built a city for his family now when we think of a city what do you think of I don't even classify Port Macquarie as a city. People call it a city. I, you know, I think city, I think, I think smog and traffic and <laughs> metropolis like Sydney and so on. Um, uh, <clears throat> if you come from watching from Sydney, you, I love Sydney, it's a great place. Um, <clears throat> but in the Old Testament, I, I was born there and bred there, <laughs> but in the Old Testament, a city, a city could just be a few houses uh, with, a, with a protective wall around it. It's sort of like a family compound, more like a family fortress. Sin 
has had a devastating effect on Cain. He now lives as a prisoner of fear. And why? Because he didn't crush the serpent's head. He did not master sin. Instead, sin mastered him. So, through the first generation, sin entered the world. Through the second generation, it got worse. And then in verse 19, the the story kind of fast tracks. It it leapfrogs over numerous generations uh, until it gets to the the seventh generation, uh, to the story of Adam and Eve's great, 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 whatever grandson. And he is a man... Uh, by the name of Lamech. Let me read to you about Lamech. Pick it up at verse 19. Lamech married two women, one named Adar and the other Zillah. Adar gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played the harp and the flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Neymar. Get the names of the sons there. You've got Jabal, Jubal and Tubal. But what do we see here? Uh, We see here uh, both the glory and the scum of the universe. Uh, How do we see mankind's glory here? Well, uh, by this stage of human development, uh, it's not just that our glory and our superior skills are seen in the breeding of livestock, but it's also industry, isn't it? There's there's metalwork going on here, bronze and iron to make tools to build things. It's industry and at perhaps a different level altogether, there is art, the arts have become a thing. There's music. There's music. But as technology and culture has progressed, so too has sin. Lamech, it turns out, is a poet. But look at the content of his poetry. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. That's actually poetry. That's his poem. And think about it. You see, Adam and Eve, they were ashamed of their sin. Cain, well, he didn't really want to own up to his sin. But Lamech is proud of his sin. He's proud that he has murdered this, that, that, that a man has caused him some injury, far from giving, responding in a way that's appropriate, he's actually gone out and killed the man. This is not eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This is you injure me, you're dead. And we don't even know if the injury was deliberate. He's not ashamed of what he's done. He's proud of what he's done. He writes a poem about what he's done because he wants people to know what he's done. 
And note this, that he presumes to take the place of God uh, in so much that uh, he announces the penalty for anybody who would avenge him for the death for killing that young man. And the penalty, it's not like the, the penalty that God announced in respect to anyone that would kill Cain, which was that that person would suffer seven times, Lamech says that was God's penalty. Lamech's taking the place of God and he's multiplying that penalty 11 times. Not seven times, but 77. What does he think of himself? Who does he think he is? Now, it's easy for us uh, to sit uh, in judgment on Adam and Eve, on Cain and on Lamech, but this is not actually just a story about them. This is a story about the progression of sin and its consequences. And you and I, we belong to that story. It's our story too. In Genesis 1, God saw that all that he was made, had made was very good. But our experience of life is somewhat mixed, isn't it? On the one hand, we enjoy so much of the, of the good things of being made in God's image as the pinnacle and as the glory of his creation. We enjoy so much of that. But we also suffer from sin and its effects in our work, in our relationships with one another, in our relationships with others. Uh, in the selfishness and the corruption in our world, which to not see, you would have to be like the proverbial ostrich with its head in the ground. Open up our eyes. Look around. Watch the news. Read the news. We see so much of the selfishness and the corruption which is all around and look within and we see it in ourselves. And ultimately, we experience the consequences of sin in death itself. Now, our society, uh, I think, uh, ignores the, the concept of sin. Sin's not really a category that people think in terms of. Am I right in saying that? Uh, I mean, that um, when, when someone does wrong, it's seen as being, uh, at the surface level, a wrong that they have committed against another person or a wrong that they have committed against a group of people. Um, but it's not a wrong against God. Uh, it's not ignoring or rebelling against God. Try saying to someone, try using the word sin. in your con You know, someone says, what's wrong? You know, don't understand what's wrong with the world? Try saying, well, sin. <laughs> and see how people respond to that it's not a category that people think about um, when you see this in terms of um, high profile people when they're caught out doing something which is really wrong and they make their apology their mea culpa and what do they say I, I made a mistake I made an, an error of judgement <laughs> uh, I sometimes not so often they'll say, what I did was wrong. I don't think I've ever heard anyone said I've sinned. Have you? 
Sin, rebellion against God is not a category uh, in which we think. And so we try to fix the world um, through our, our abilities that are really the essence of being the glory of man. Uh, we, 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 we try to fix the world through better systems, better technologies, better education, the glorious things of being human. But despite our progress, what it means is we end up with better equipped sinners. Better equipped sinners. And so what of this promise, this promise of, 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 of Eve's offspring who would crush the serpent's head? Uh, in the Bible, the, an offspring is not just the son or the daughter, but it's a descendant. Wasn't that uh, marvellous how Sue read that, uh, that genealogy for us with that list of Hebrew names? So thank you very much for that, Sue. That was well done. And sometimes we look at the genealogies and <laughs> when I'm reading my Bible, I just want to skip over them, don't you? Especially when they're really, really long, but those genealogies are very important. There's a reason they are there. See how Genesis 4 ends. Pick it up at verse 25. Adam lay with his wife again and gave birth to a son named Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. How about that? Sounds hopeful, doesn't it? Sounds hopeful. Uh, indeed, it's the beginning of a genealogy through the line of Adam and Eve's son, Seth. And that is a genealogy which is continued uh, into the New Testament. Uh, indeed, into uh, Luke chapter 3, where Luke... Uh, in his account of the genealogy, uh, gives the genealogy from, from Seth through to Noah. And then from Noah, several generations through to, to Jacob, uh, uh, to, 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 to Abraham rather. Then from Abraham th through, to, through to Jacob, and then from Jacob through to King David and from King David through to, to Jesus. To Jesus. To Jesus where both the scum and the glory of humanity come together on the cross. On the cross. You see, the most glorious expression of humanity was when God, uh, in the person of his son, became a man, became one of us, and who, by his miracles and by his teaching, clearly revealed his identity. John, in his Gospel, chapter 1, says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, we have seen his glory, 
the glory of the one and only, full of grace and full of truth. And so we nail him to a cross. We nail him to a cross. There is no greater expression of glory. There is no greater expression of sin than that the perfect man, the second Adam as he's described, should be nailed by his own creation to a cross. Just as Cain murdered Abel, the son of Adam, the son of God, the second Adam, was murdered on a cross. And this, friends, this, brothers and sisters, was... Satan thought it was his hour. (laughs) Satan thought, I've got him. This was Satan striking at his heel and yet this offspring of Eve did not bow to temptation. He could have avoided the cross. Uh, In the wilderness, Satan had said to him, look at all the kingdoms of the world, they can be be yours if you just follow me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweated drops of blood wishing that there could be some other way. On the cross, they laughed at him. They said, if he truly was who he said he was, why doesn't he save himself? Come down from the cross. No greater temptation has been faced than the temptation that the Lord Jesus Christ faced as the serpent striked at his heel. But by dying on the cross and rising again, He stood up to Satan. He stared down the serpent and he crushed him. He disarmed the serpent because by taking all of our scum, by taking all of our sin and the penalty for our sin upon himself, he has taken from that serpent the power that he had over us, the power which was the guilt of our sin, the accusing finger, that would send us to hell with Satan. Colossians chapter 2, I think it is, that he disarmed the powers and authorities and uh, showed them up, shamed them by dying on the cross. And he did so so that we can be forgiven if we put our trust in Jesus and if we turn back to God. Now, of course, Satan is still around. And he's still he's still causing damage. But he has been mortally wounded. He's, he's in his death throes. And he's lashing out to do whatever harm he can. But for those who trust in Jesus, he's like a snake without any fangs. Without any fangs who on the day of judgment, that ancient serpent, says Revelation chapter 20, will be thrown into the pit of burning sulphur to suffer forever and ever. He's been crushed. And if we are in Christ Jesus, if we are those who now trust in Jesus, then we are restored to our relationship with God 
And by his word and spirit, we, as we put Jesus first in our life, are being renewed. We are being changed. As we put off the old self, and because of what he's done for us and our gratitude for that, we put on the new self, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then we are being changed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says that we are now free. <laughs> we are free from Satan, but more than that, he says that we are being transformed into the likeness of the glory of God. And he says so, and that's not a static thing. It's not something that happens like that. He says we are being transformed uh, even in an ever increasingly into the glory of God to be the people that God has created us to be. The glory of the universe and the scum of the universe. That's us without Christ. But because of his victory on the cross, his victory over that serpent, we can now be truly glorious. Not just in what we can do, but in who we are and the difference we can make. As by our lives, we continually and ever increasingly reflect the character and the glory of God and share the good news of forgiveness in Jesus. The remedy for sin and the certain hope of life which people can enjoy through him forever. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that unlike Adam and Eve and unlike every human uh, who's ever lived, that he did not succumb to the temptation of the evil one despite the intensity of the pressure upon him to do so. We thank you that Jesus was true to you, was faithful to you, that he stood down, stood up to the serpent, Father, the, that he stood up by laying down his life. And we uh, pray for each one of us. We pray that uh, we would uh, truly put our trust in Jesus and uh, be so full of joy that we would, by your spirit, want to, to change our lives, to change our character, that we would be more like you. We pray that as we... Uh, um, our character is changed, that in this dark world with the confusion uh, that, uh, of this world, that people would see in us uh, something of you and be attracted to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.